I want you to get your Bible open. We've been in, in a series called Moving Forward, and uh, we're going to do one more week of this, and then we're going to transition the first Sunday in July. Um, but how many of you know we've been pulling lessons about moving forward from the life of Moses, one of the great figures of the Old Testament, and also one of the great leaders we have to, to model our lives upon? And uh, I want to begin reading a passage. If you turn to Exodus chapter 18, I want to talk today to men about the problem of trying to go alone, going it alone. And I want to begin reading in Exodus 18, uh, verse 13. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. And they waited before him from morning till evening. How many of you know that's a long day? And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone? And look at what he says again, while everyone stands around you from morning till evening. Two times in one passage, we hear the phrase morning till evening. I just want to say, I know that a lot of men feel very much overworked and overwhelmed with life. And you might be one of those men right now. There's a lot of things. I just want to say, first of all, it's, it is uh, challenging being a man in American culture because what, much of what we define as biblical manhood is now made fun of or, or, or called toxic masculinity or whatever the current politically correct phrase is. Uh, but I'm just telling you, God still has men on his heart. He still loves men. We still need men of God. Uh, and many of you are trying to balance all the competing demands that you're facing right now. You're trying to provide for your family after some of you small business owners uh, uh, had the government shut you down for a while. Uh, and that's not easy to do. Any of you small business owners can say amen on that one. Um, it's not easy as well when you're trying to be a good husband. Uh, most of us as men have never been taught that, and we don't have any good models or didn't have maybe a good model growing up, so we're trying to learn that the hard way. We're also trying to be father of the year. You know, I tell my kids every time I do something nice to them, hey, I'm still in the running for father of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm working on that constantly, all right? Uh, and you should be too. Uh, we want to be good fathers. Can I? You all can talk back to me now. Amen? Any fathers want to be good husbands, good fathers, good providers? And how about this? We got this thing called the mission, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his call to take the gospel to the nations. And so uh, we encourage you as well, hey, get involved in the church and serve and give your life away. And so there's all these demands of situations, you know. Hey, Jerry and Terry, when you guys were dealing with your own stuff and then Jesus heals you and starts putting your marriage back together, little did you know that now you would have other people coming and wanting help from you as well. So in addition to trying to do your job and be a husband and be a wife and, and all those things, now you're also ministering to people, which poses, you know, Paul said, I'm pressured from the outside, I'm pressured from within. I'm dealing with the church. I'm dealing with the enemies out there. He was feeling it from all sides. And I think that describes pretty much what manhood looks like in America today. Now, I find this very interesting. How many of you know Moses had an amazing personal relationship and encounter with God Almighty? Um, in fact, he had a highly unusual level of intimacy with God for a man in his generation. Look what the Bible says in Exodus 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. Now, how many of you know that's a great level of intimacy? And I just want to say this for every man and woman in this place, under the new covenant, that's the privilege and blessing that we have by the Holy Spirit, to have intimate relationship with Jesus through His Word and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we have the same uh, opportunity that Moses walked in, all right? But I want you to see something about this passage. God could have spoken directly to Moses about 
shifting some things and not working from morning till night and about helping him out. But it's interesting, God sent him an organizational consultant that looked a lot like his father-in-law, Jethro, all right? Jethro, father-in-law, shows up on the scene. And, you know, if you're, guys, if you're working really hard and somebody shows up and says this to you, what are you really accomplishing here? How I many of you know that's not necessarily a good start, all right? Uh, when you're working your fingers to the bone. Now, what are you really accomplishing here? But Jethro shows up, he starts looking at the situation, and he starts speaking into Moses' life. Now, this is very, very important. Guys, this is important. Listen. The Lord wants to speak to us, certainly in, intimately through his word and by his spirit. But how many of you know many times God speaks to us through other people? If you're married, that other people often looks like your wife. He also speaks to you through people at work. He also speaks to, sp to you through spiritual authorities in your life. He speaks to us in a variety of ways. I find it interesting that the man in the Old Covenant who enjoyed the greatest intimacy with God got direction from his father-in-law. The good news is Moses was also the meekest man that ever lived, and so he was teachable, and so he listened when his father-in-law spoke to him. So I want to encourage us. You know, uh, Pastor Dick has, has a, a famous phrase of his. He says, let's make new mistakes. And what he means by that is you can learn two ways. You can either go out and make the same foolish mistakes that your father made and his father made, or check this out, you can actually learn from the mistakes of other people so that you don't have to go through the same pain and suffering that they went through. How many of you know that's a better option? So let's make new mistakes, not the same old mistakes. Let's, let's find new ways as we're pursuing Jesus. Let's find new ways to press in and move in faith. But look at what happens next, all right? In verse 15, Moses replied, here's why he's working from morning till evening. Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. And when a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees, and I give them his destruction instructions. So notice he's, he's acting as a prophet in terms of being a representative, a priest between God and the people. He's speaking the word of the Lord to them. He's also being a peacemaker, which is a good thing. He's wanting to settle their disputes. And he's also being their pastor. He's being their shepherd. He's wanting everybody to be moving it together, moving forward. How many of you know Moses is on assignment here? This is, he's, he's not doing a bad thing. In fact, he's doing a good thing. His mission is good. How many of you men know your, your mission could be pure and holy? His motives were good. He wasn't doing this for selfish reason. He wasn't working because he's a workaholic. He's working because he cares about the people. So your mission can be good. Your motives can be pure. But how many of you realize your method can be wrong? And if your method is wrong, you're going to produce bad fruit and you're not going to finish well. Look at what he says, and this is what I want to dive into this morning. Verse 17, uh, Jethro says this. This, read it with me, will you? This is not good. Let's say that again. This is not good. One more time. This is not good. There's only two times in the Bible when God uses that phrase, in the Old Covenant, when God uses the phrase, not good. Now, how many of you smart guys out there realize that if God Almighty says something twice that's not good, we should pay attention to that? Because not good means stay away. It means don't do that. It means don't act that way. It means don't get into that because it's going to cause problems. It's a big red flag. So when God tells you this is not good, put the brakes on. 
and make sure that you're listening. Only two times he says that. We're going to talk today about two things that are not good for every man in this room, all right? Two things that are not good for every man in this room. He says, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. The job is too heavy of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, I just want to say this to every man in this place. The challenge of being a husband, of being a father, of being a man of God, is a challenge that is too big of a burden for you to handle all by yourself. God never intended you to go this alone. In fact, the only other passage in the Bible when God says, this is not good, if you all remember, rewind the tape, uh, it's a familiar passage all the way back in Genesis when God says to Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. Guys, this is kind of humbling. We're the only gender that God requires adult supervision for, all right? (laughs) Now, God didn't say this to the ladies. It's not good for you ladies to be alone. Oh, no, ladies do quite well by themselves. It's us. It's we guys. We're the needy ones. In fact, I know the Lord just scratching his head going, these guys need supervision. That's what he was trying to say. It's not good for men to be alone. Can any guy in this room give me an amen on that one, all right? That is the absolute truth. In fact, I have found this to be the case, uh, that men uh, need two things if they're going to be successful in life. First thing you guys need, we need a cause. We need a mission. We need a kingdom purpose to live for. And I found this to be true over the years, that uh, a man that has an important mission that's captured his heart is a happy man. Some of you women can go, you know what, that's my, that's my hubby's problem. He's still trying to get captured by that important mission. In fact, I find that many men, if we're honest, and we say, you know, what's the purpose of all this? Why am I here? What's going on? What, what is it that I'm really looking for? If a man can nail that down and begin to pursue that, he'll be a happy man. But many of us don't take the time to really nail that down. Can I suggest to you that we in the church, as godly men, we have an important mission. In fact, we have a life-changing mission. We have a courageous mission. We have a mission that is a manly mission. In fact, can we just pause? Did you see all the testosterone on this stage during worship? Come on, let's give it up for the worship. And I'm looking up there, wow, look at all. We just, we just saw one of the things I love to see most, which is masculinity, worshiping Jesus with passion. Oh, it was so good. So we need a cause. But how many of you know we also need a team? We need a covenant family. We need a close group of friends to fight with. We need the band of brothers. A little plug for that conference coming up. We need a band of brothers to fight with, but we also need a bond of brothers. We need deep relational connection if we're going to succeed in this call that we have. In fact, look at what happens next in verse 13. This is with Jesus. And I want to, I'm sorry, this is Mark chapter 3, verse 13. I want to challenge us as men with this. If we could think of any guy that could have gone alone, how many of you would put Jesus in the category of kind of not needing anybody, right? I mean, after all, he's God Almighty, walks on water, full of the Holy Ghost, heals the sick, casts out devils. If anybody could go alone, Jesus could. But guess what? Jesus didn't go alone. How many of you know Jesus is our model in everything? He sets the example in everything. He's our leader in everything. Look at what it says here, and I want you to pull out some principles with me. Look at what it says about the leadership of Jesus. He went up on the hillside, and he called to him, that is, for himself, those whom he wanted and chose. And they came to him. So Jesus called men to join him. Notice he wanted them, he chose them. These were special people that God had laid on his heart through relationship. 
And he appointed 12 to continue, notice, to be with him. The first thing God calls us to in this mission as men is to be with the Lord and to be with other brothers in Christ. We're called for relationship. We're called not to go it alone. We're called to be connected relationally to other people. So he called them to be with him. And look at the second half of this. And that he might send them. What's he going to do? He's sending them out to preach as apostles or special messengers. And look at verse 15, and to have the authority and the power to heal the sick and to drive out demons. First of all, he created a team, then he sent them on mission together. Now, I've shared this in this context before at Living Stones. We value relationships. We are a marriage and family-centered church. We love to see strong marriages and thriving families. But how many of you know that's only half of the equation? Because while we have to be relationally connected, we also have a mission to get done. There's a lost world. There's people that are broken. There's people that are hurting. There's marriages being destroyed, families blown apart. How many of you know it's not just enough for us to get together and have a good time? We have a mission to accomplish. We have an important assignment, but I just want to say this. You cannot be all about assignment and lack relationships or you won't succeed in the assignment because we need each other. Elbow your neighbor because I think half of you are still asleep this morning. You just elbow your neighbor. That was a weak elbow. This row right here. A mission and a family. We're a family on mission together. We need a band of brothers and we need a bond of brothers. Which is why, all through Scripture, when Satan wants to destroy a person or an individual, the first thing he does is isolate us from other people. Have any of you been in a situation, you know, last Sunday I talked about the spirit of offense. I know none of you have ever been offended, but just pretend that you were at one point offended. As soon as the offense comes in, what happens? Walls start to go up. If Brian and I have a falling out or a disagreement, Brian gets offended by me or something I said, then right away Brian begins to withdraw. I jokingly told you last week, normally you start on the front row, you get offended. Then you move to the middle, you move to the end, then you're out in the parking lot, then we don't know where you are. That's the way offense works, all right? Now, I'm not judging again all of you on the back row. David, I know you love me. Praise the Lord. I'm just telling you that's the way it works. But I want you to notice what's happening. It is an isolation. It is an emotional isolation that begins to pull you aside. And listen to me, if you live in the land of offense and the devil drives you alone, it is not good for you to be alone. You need supervision. You need other people in your life. I can't tell you how many men have fallen into uh, uh, pornography addictions because they got alone. Because they got isolated. How many people have bitterness and resentment in their hearts and they they withdrawn because they took that bait. They ate the cheese, right? They ate the cheese. And now all of a sudden they're isolated. I told you when I travel, I love to travel with people because I don't like being by myself overseas uh, because there's all kinds of demonic stuff going on. So you want to have somebody with you. When Jesus sent out the folks to evangelize and heal the sick and cast out devils, did they go by themselves? No, he sent them two by two. He sent them in groups. He sent them as a band. You need to be connected. It is not good for you to be alone. And I want to remind you in this place, One of the most beautiful things I believe about our culture here, I remember praying for somebody, I won't mention his name, but he's got a great smile, and I picked on him last week as my resident Puerto Rican. All right, but (laughs) his name's Hotam. But anyway, I remember the time when Hotam was at the altar when they just got here. You remember that time? And I prayed with you, and we snotted on each other and cried. 
But this is, this is what was going on in his life. He was alone. He was fighting depression. He didn't have friends in his life. Can I just ask you, and I'm putting you totally on the spot, but it's just two weeks in a row now. Um, you got some friends in your life now? Too many? Yeah, <laughs> got to get rid of some of them. No, no, but I'm bringing that out because this, this is an amazing point. Once we got you connected and you submitted to the process, realizing I need, I need friends, you have lots of great friends. And, and here's the most important. It's great to have friends, but, you, but men need some male friends in your life. And, and here's the principle. When you come to church, a lot, of, a lot of church cultures are toxic only because everything's whitewashed. So everybody says, Pray, hey, Larry, how you doing? Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We get together for men's breakfasts. And we have pancakes and eggs and stuff. And hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Bless, 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 so bless, 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 bless. The problem is we're like this deep. And let me just tell everybody something. I already know you're messed up. So don't be going, ah, bless, hallelujah, blah, 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 blah. No, no, that's positionally who you are. In real life, you're messed, 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 not bless, 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 bless. You're messed up. And so the, the ground rule, the ground rule of this club that you've been invited to be a part of is you, you can't go anywhere until you admit that you're broken. But man, this was so great. Totally unsolicited this morning when Joe Nutley came up. Joe said, I was addicted to cocaine for 25 years. I didn't ask him to say that. Joe said that. You know why I said that? Because the environment here is one of transparency and authenticity. And when you're real, you get healed. And when you get healed, you become the man that God always called you to become. And when you're the man God called you to become, you like it. And it's exciting. And you're happy. And you want to impact other people. Or you can just play church and act like everything's cool when everybody knows it ain't. That's for somebody. That wasn't in the notes. But that was good preaching right there. <laughs> so here's the deal. If you come to this church, we assume you're messed up, no matter how pretty you look on the outside. And we also assume that if you get together and you keep from being alone and you get together with other men, I'm speaking to the men now, and you get real, you're going to get helped and you're going to hear some stories. And you're going to, you know, some of you are going, you got a guy that's one of your key leaders in the children's ministry that was a 25-year cocaine addict? Yes! Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What kind of church is this? A real church where broken people get healed by Jesus. Man, I like this church. All right. Second area, you're not called to be alone. Personally, you're not called to live alone. Secondly, you're not called to lead alone. And let me just camp out here. We got a lot of new folks showing up right now, and I want to give you a, a little history. If someone said to me, and if someone said to you, as living stoners, all right, um, <laughs> there's more truth to that than most of you realize. All right. If somebody asks you, what is this church about? Here's what this church is about. Growing people and multiplying leaders. Say that with me, will you? We grow people. We multiply leaders. One more time. We grow people. We multiply leaders. I believe if you are in the process of enjoying this environment and you stick around and you're teachable, you're going to grow. 
Growing people are happy people. And when you grow, you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to give it away. And so here's the deal. And men, I'm speaking to you because so many men today run from the word leader. But I'm going to say it over and over again. You're a leader. You're a leader. You're a leader because you have to lead yourself, first of all. You've got to lead your wife. She's not wanting you to sit back and be passive. You need to lead your wife. You need to lead your family. You need to lead in the church. You need to lead in the marketplace. You need to lead. You need to lead. I'll say it again. You need to lead. Every person, every male in this room, lead, 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 lead. We're, we're, we're in a world full of such passivity. And we got cities that are vacuums of leader, leaderlessness, all right? Nobody's arising. Nobody's doing anything. The church should be the breeding ground for some of the most dynamic, godly, Christ-centered, Jesus-loving, people-serving male leadership on planet Earth. That should come out of this place. Are you with me? So guys, I'm challenging you. You can't live alone and you can't lead alone. In fact, this is a little nugget for you. That word live in Hebrew is in the plural. It is a plural word, which means this. You cannot experience life in isolation. It's made to be spent with other people. Amen? It's made to be spent with other people. Now look at what happens here. Look at Jethro's advice in verse 20. He says this, I want you to teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives and select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God, who hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10, and they should always be available to solve the people's common disputes. Now, there's three functions every man should be a part of, all right? Three functions that are in this passage. Number one, teach them, it says. How many of you know the guys that, that go the farthest and go the fastest are people that are teachable? They're hungry. They're wanting to learn. And I just want to tell you, we're in a culture here. I want to speak to all the men. If you're new here, you're in a culture where we value the last 10%. How many of you men like, like it when people tell you the truth? Give you the final 10%, not the 90% that's easy, but give you the last 10% uh, to speak into your life, to love you. It's a, it's a posture that says, teach me. It's also a posture that says, what I receive, I want to be able to give away to other people. Teach men. Men, be teachable. Be humble. Be learners. To have a posture of learning. We encourage people to take notes. Why? Because God wants to speak to you. We encourage our young men, when you're around an older man, ask questions. Why do you ask questions? Because you want to glean from that man. You want to glean from his life. You want to glean from his wisdom. It honors somebody when you ask questions. So ask good questions. Take great notes. Be a good learner so you don't have to make the same mistakes yourself. Secondly, he says, show them. How many of you know we need to get beyond just people that can teach the Bible? We need to be people that live the Bible. I saw a funny meme, maybe you saw it on Facebook. It said, everybody's a Christian until you get biblical. <laughs> That's where the rub comes. It's one of those famous witty people. I can't, I, 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 it might have been Mark Twain. He says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that give me the problems. It's the part that I do understand. Meaning it's not some obscure part, it's the straightforward teaching of the Bible that's the biggest challenge because that's where we need to make sure we're not going it alone because guess what, you need men in your life to help you live the gospel. 
Am I speaking to the right crowd? You need men. You need to be connected. You need people who know you. You need people who love you. You need people to be with you. Those are the kind of men that we need. And lastly, we teach, we show, we select. That means we're always looking for men to raise up. We're always looking for the right kind of man. And I want to hit this very quickly in the few minutes that we have left here. Look at the five key qualities that Moses was looking for in raising up leaders and raising up men. First of all, capable. That word capable means men of might. These are men of moral strength and ability. Capable men, strong men. Once again, we're living in a culture today, guys, where manhood has taken such a hit. Manhood has become so effeminate. Um, we need tough men, tender men, but tough men. Men who are able to endure the pressures of life. And again, don't do it alone. You need other men to help you, but we need tough men. Secondly, honest men, virtuous men, men who are truth lovers, men who are principled, men who are sincere. Can I just tell you again, this is why authenticity is so valuable. Sometimes we're around men and they won't tell the truth about themselves. In fact, many of us as men, we're really good liars. Ladies, I appreciate your self-restraint on that one right there. <laughs> I did not hear any amens, or, which is, that's good, all right? Speaking to the guys now, well, how do we lie? Well, we, we lie about uh, all kinds of things, where we were, how we spent the money, why we didn't get such and such done. We make excuses. We lie about whose problem it was. We lie to our kids. We make promises. We don't deliver. Am I speaking to the right crowd? You know, I'm with, I, I know some guys who work together amongst our church, and one of the guys is struggling with a certain issue. And the problem is, everybody knows he's struggling with the issue, but when they confront him about the issue, he lies. Now, how many of you know, when you have good relationships, like Larry knows me, I know Larry, I can be honest that I haven't arrived. I'm not glowing in the dark. I'm not Jesus yet. Surprise. And when I'm honest, I can get help. Because here's the deal, whatever is hidden stays in the dark and begins to grow nastiness, all right? But when you bring it out into the light, guess what happens? The, the light acts like a disinfectant. So what do you do? Be honest. You know, pastor, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still dealing with that. You know, I still, my marriage still is not good. I, I, I'm still, I got an anger problem. Man, come to marriage class, all of you new folks, and get shocked, at people being honest that their marriages are not perfect and that they're working on it. At the men that say, I blew it this week, I got angry, I yelled at my wife, I, uh, I, need, I need to deal with my anger problem. That is a sign of a man who's honest. And if a man is honest, there's no end to what God can do through that man. We need honest men, men that are not cheaters. Look at the next thing it says here. Men who fear God. Oh, that is a good one. Men who fear God. Pastor, what does that mean? That means, listen to me, that means there are certain non-negotiables in your life and you would rather die than compromise. It means that the fear of God is stronger than the fear of being accepted by man or being cool or being woke or being politically correct. Can I just tell you this? In our politically correct culture that it continues to move towards more and more sexual insanity, can I just tell you, I would rather die than compromise on what the Bible says about marriage and gender and sexual expression. Shoot me before I would ever compromise or let this church compromise on those issues. Now, it doesn't mean we don't care for people trapped in lifestyles 
cause or care for people that are wrestling with sin or care for people that are lost or that we don't love our culture. But listen to me, God forbid that the fear of the Lord is smaller than the fear of whatever's going on out there. We need men who move in the fear of God in this culture. We need men who love what God loves and hate what God hates, and they will not sell out. Well, this leads to the next part here. We're looking for men who hate bribes. That means you are unpurchasable. There's nothing, that, no one that could buy you. There's no compromise that could be made climbing the ladder or whatever that you are not going to sell out for anything. You're a person of integrity. Your word is your bond. You're honest and you love God more than anything in your life. Those are the kind of men we're looking for. And the last thing here is simply availability. They are at the Lord's disposal and they realize that their lives are not their own. You know, Jesus can never bring out the fullness of your manhood until you completely surrender yourself to the Lord. And you realize that your life is not your own. Can I just tell you, men, what's the biggest thing that destroys our manhood? You ready for this? It's our selfishness. It's just male selfishness. We want our lives. We want it our way. We want it on our terms. We, we, we want to pursue our dreams. And the center of all that is, is still me. And can I just tell you that until you're available to God and you're available to God's people, and you're available to meet needs, and you're available, and your home is not, no longer your home. Your home exists for the purpose of loving people, ministering to people, that your home is not a, 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 a museum of old artifacts, but your home is a ministry center where people are constantly coming and going and drinking from your well. You've got to be available. You've got to open up your life, and you just got to give it away you got to give it away because a man will never be worthwhile to the Lord in terms of effectiveness as long as he's still the captain of his own ship, doing it his own way, doing it on his own terms, his own agenda. God's looking for capable men who are honest, who fear him, who hate bribes, are available. Now, this was in the context of judges, obviously, but I mean, you know, this has a broader context. It's really in the context of leadership and the kind of men that God calls us to be. Now, how many of you guys want to finish well? Man, that song messed me up. First service, I was a, I was a ball of mucus, all right? I just want you to know, I cleaned out my sinuses first service. So you all can thank the fact that we have an early service. They got me running everywhere, all right? Um, it was an ugly sight, an ugly, beautiful sight. But here, here's, what, here's what rocked me. When we sang the word of the Lord about the blessing, how many know that comes straight from the Bible? That is the priestly, ironic blessing. How many, you know, so don't be like, oh, you know, I really you know, don't want to sing for God to bless me. Stop it. That's a religious demon. We need to cast that sucker right out of you. Who, who in the world wants to be miserable? No, we want to move in the blessing of God. But blessings on you on your children, and their children, and their children. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling that fathering anointing raising up inside of me and the desire to finish my race well. To finish my race well. To leave a legacy behind me of righteousness and godliness and children who have been loved well and watching their seed and believing for their seed. Now, here's the cool thing. In our, in our household, because of generational blessing 
At one point, we had four grandparents that were in their mid-90s all alive at the same time, and they were witness of not only their children, but their grandchildren, and ready for this, their great-grandchildren. How many of you know that's the blessing of God? I was starting to feel a little bit old, you know, during this, you know, quarantine thing. I'm not working out. I'm, it takes me longer to get out of bed. And I'm just like, man, I am getting old. All of a sudden, the Lord grabbed me. And this is what he said. Your parents and their parents lived into their mid-90s. You're a young man with a long time ahead of you. Stop acting like you're old. Come on, all the guys over 50 said, amen, hallelujah. Woo! Now, some of you are being biblical and you're going, ah, pastor, you shouldn't say that because you don't know whether you have today or tomorrow. And I get all of that. If God wants to take me home sooner, hallelujah, you won't get any arguments from this guy. But I'm telling you, I have my, I have my vision set on 95 at least, all right? And, uh, and guess what? You should too be moving in the blessing of God, to be moving in the supernatural provision of God that you'll see your seed and your seed seed and their seed because that's part of the multi-generational blessing that rests on us as men and women of God. Let me end with this, then we're going to pray. This is what Jethro said. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures. How many guys want to be able to endure the pressures besides me? You'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. And I love the verse 24. What are the first two words in verse 24? Moses. Oh, this is so good. Guys, I'm putting on my Jethro hat right now. I'm now your father-in-law, and I'm speaking to you. If you want to finish well, if you want to be able to endure the pressures. And how many of you know life is full of pressures? That does not, that's a given. Life is full of pressures. If you want to endure the pressures and finish well, you need to make sure you don't live alone. So I'm challenging you, get connected. Get connected. When life groups kick back off, get in a life group. Get involved in Celebrate Recovery. Invest yourself like Joe in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry. Give your life away. Start building relationships with people. We've got discipleship groups here. We're launching in September as well. Um, there's a lot of ways to stay connected in a deep way with other men so that you can become a better man yourself. Don't try to do this alone. Secondly, don't lead alone. The, the, the reason I love marriage class so much is that you should not be expected to figure out how to be a great husband and how to be a great father when maybe your biological father was not successful or maybe you've had a legacy of divorce in your household or whatever it is. You need other men to help you be a great father and a great husband. We need each other. So don't live alone and don't lead alone. And if you do these things and you listen, you're going to finish well. If you'd like to finish well, all of you, stand to your feet. I want to pray that blessing over you this morning. I also want to say this, dads in the house, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We're committed to you. The church is committed to you. We want to help you succeed. And so enjoy that hot dog on the way out, all right, because every man needs a hot dog. And number two, enjoy the book. Enjoy the book that we're giving you because... Uh, Every man might not feel like they need a book. You might feel like you need a hot dog more than a book. But trust me, you need the book. 
more than the hot dog. So read it. It's a book on manhood. Read it and glean from it and continue to be all that Jesus called you to be. Can I just ask this too? If you're, you know, the, the, if somebody put a gun to your belly and said, uh, get, you know, surrender, you'd be doing one of these things right here. If you are a man today in this house, a father, and you're saying, Lord, I'm listening and I need help. I'd love you just to join me as we just surrender our hearts and our lives to the Lord right now, and we just ask Him for the help that we need. Lord, we know we can't live alone, we can't lead alone, so we just simply say, help us. Help us be godly, help us be honest, help us be men of conviction and integrity, help us be men who love you more than anything else, help us be men who are available because we give our lives to you and we open our homes and our hearts to other people. And Lord, I just pray a blessing on every marriage that's represented here, on those that are struggling, Lord. We thank you for healing and restoration. Lord, we thank you where there's been broken manhood and it's left a trail of pain. We thank you that you're the God who can heal broken men. And so, Lord, we prophesy that over the men of the house, that we'd be free, that we'd be whole, that there'd be no shame, that we'd move and function as sons of the Most High God. And Lord, that on this Father's Day, that every man would leave here knowing how much you love them, Lord, how much we love them, and what a humongous blessing they are, not only to our church family, but to our community, to our nation, uh, and to everyone who knows them. So dads, be encouraged today, be loved, know how special you are, know how valued you are. Please know how honored you are today. Let's go forth now in the strength of the Lord and the strength of the men of God that he surrounded us with. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.